0: Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck.
1: Well, hey, friends, and welcome back to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast here on American Family Radio. I am Jessica Peck, author, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, and mom of four as your host. And today, I have one of my favorite guests Back with us. We are so blessed to be able to hear from her again. I have my friend from Pennsylvania, Lauren Gaines, here. She has a master's degree in psychology, and she is the founder of Inspired Motherhood as a place to empower mothers to know their worth and equip families with the right tools to raise spiritually and emotionally healthy kids. She lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and her three beautiful kids, and she has written a new book. So we are going to hear from her my a mom, my friend and a psychologist. I mean, it's just like a, an amazing little gift package you've given to us Lauren. Welcome so much back to the Doctor Nurse Mama podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It is always a pleasure talking to you Jessica and we have so much we can talk about just because you have a heart for parents and for kids as well and Seeing it, I think, from both a biblical and a scientific perspective is just so unique. And it's, I'm always amazed at how science is really catching up to what God has already written thousands of years ago. <laughs>
1: Exactly. We really share a heart in that and both having a scientific profession and seeing that science is supported by scripture because God made science. And so that's really exciting to see. But the other thing that we share in common, Lauren, is that even though I'm a nurse practitioner, you're a psychologist, we're both moms who don't always have it together. Like not even by a long shot. And both of us are very real about that. And so tell us about your life as a mom and what led you to write this book to encourage other moms, because I know it came out of some of the struggles of your own heart and your own mind.
0: Yes. So, okay, Jessica, I'm so sorry. My daughter is coming in here. That's okay. Go tell Ellie that. Yes, you can have that, but do not come in here. (laughs) See, okay. I'm like, We're, my 10-year-old is who turns 10 on Sunday is supposed to be babysitting, and she's well,
1: my four-year-old's walking in here. <laughs> that is completely fine. You know, I have to tell you really quick, Lauren, one time when <clears throat> we first started, you know, teaching online after the pandemic, I was teaching a class of, of st- nursing students, and I was really into, you know, what I was saying. And one of them said, um, excuse me, Dr. Peck, I think your son wants to make toast. And I said... <laughs> Well, that is incredibly random and specific. Why would you say that? And they said, he's standing behind you in the glass doors with a sign that says, can I please make a toast? Because he didn't know I was on video and I had turned off my video because, you know, I don't like to watch my video when I'm on. So welcome to that was just a perfect that was a perfect little transition and segue to say, hey, life goes on. We're still we're both busy moms. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So tell us how you wrote the book.
0: Yes. So I, as a mom, could not wait to be a mom. I, you know, I worked as a school psychologist, but I really, since I was a little girl, just could not wait to be a mom. I just felt like that was something that I admired with my mom and couldn't wait to experience. And then when I had kids myself, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so much harder than I thought it would ever be. And I just found myself in those trenches of motherhood with young kids and felt like I was losing my temper. And I wasn't being the mom I wanted to be. And I knew kind of what that should look like, especially having a background in human. I mean, I was teaching human development at a local university and it was like something, there was like a disconnect. It was like, I knew all this background of what I should do to teach my kids about their feelings and about their thoughts. But yet I was struggling to implement that myself. And so I really just went back through all my notes. I actually took out my binders from grad school and was like, what, you know, what do I need to do here? And I just slowly learned. I, I think I did have some emotional health to begin with, but learned again what it means to take every thought captive and how important it is if I want my kids to be emotionally strong and to have a handle on their feelings and to be able to face adversity, then I need to do that first because I'm their model and they're watching me. And if they see me falling apart so often, then... How are they going to, you know, it doesn't matter what I say, they're watching what I do as well. So I really went on this journey and went back and read scripture, and it was just God opened my eyes to things about myself. And honestly, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was driving, and I was like, often in early motherhood, we want to just get through it. We're like, I just Mm -hmm. want to get out of this because then I'll be better, and then I won't lose my temper as much, and things won't feel so out of control, and we look to instagram or pinterest to like have what how can i have a better motherhood experience you know we think that there's like some magic tool but i feel like god sometimes just wants to take us through that sometimes we have to go through the the challenge the forest to get to the other side to see the mountain peak you know and i think when we rush that experience of God refining us and pruning us, then we miss out on maybe a blessing or a skill or a fruit that He wants us to have. So that kind of sums up my journey in motherhood and what I have, why I have a heart for others, because I want them to also experience that breakthrough of, I can learn through these experiences. It's okay if I make a mistake, but I can learn and be better tomorrow.
1: Oh, Lauren, so much to unpack there, so much wisdom in what you're saying. And I know you and I have often talked le- about the fact that we're kind of bookends on parenting. You know, your kids are younger and my kids are older. But I remember those days when my kids were younger. And much like you, you know, I had a profession that was telling people how to take care of their kids. And I felt like a fraud and a failure because I couldn't translate those skills to home. And it seems like when your kids are young, those days are so endless. Like it's the longest days and shortest years of your life. And I remember waiting for my husband to come home at five o'clock, like just thinking if I can just make it till five (laughs) o'clock when I have that shift in energy, like that will be better. But you know, it's weird because there's no middle ground. It's you have those days and then all of a sudden they just start growing so fast. And now I've got my second going off to college and uh, already working on my next one's college applications. And I'm either helping someone apply to college, or I'm teaching someone to drive. Like that has been my last four (laughs) years. But I think that feeling of just discouragement and failure and just waiting to get to that destination rather than embracing the journey along the way is something that resonates with any parent who is listening for sure. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was you talk a lot about winning your child's heart, which is another thing that we have in common. And you, you have three keys to winning your child's heart in your new book, Unshakable Kids. And I would love for you to share those and give a preview of what readers can find about that in your book.
0: Yeah, for sure. So first, I mean, I think it's important to, I think it's kind of obvious, but also important to say that why we want to win our children's hearts. It's like we build that foundation of trust and we were built for relationship, you know? So I think we, we want to be with. A good relationship with our kids, and we know that when research tells us that when we have that secure attachment, our kids are better able to cope with stress. They have healthier behaviors. Their overall well being is is better when they have that strong connection with a parental figure. So that is something that I am passionate about. I I studied, I learned in grad school, and then taught when I uh, taught at the university. So the first key is to find, I call it, I love you moments throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we can beat ourselves up thinking we need to have Pinterest worthy activities at all times, that we need to throw amazing birthday parties, that we need to like have these huge vacations to make a meaningful connection with our kid. But that's just not true. It's often just these little moments that our kids treasure and remember forever. And for my son, it was different. My daughter just wanted to kind of read together at night, but my son didn't want to do that necessarily, which was okay. And I learned if I did quiz questions with him, he just Mm. like loved it. I would take the book. He's a science nerd, loves ocean and anything about building. And so I would quiz him on these things, you know, and then he would quiz me about his facts on squids and sharks and things that I know nothing about. And he would laugh that I didn't know the answer of like, how big is the biggest, you know, a (laughs) colossal squid. But it was that little moment in time. It took five minutes at bedtime where we just connected with each other and just kind of unloaded the day and just looked at each other in the eye. We've lost the art of eye contact, I feel like, in this world. And my kids talk to me, you know, while I'm making dinner, but my attention is not on them. So I think if we can just find... Moments throughout the day, even if it's just five minutes, it doesn't need to be these elaborate, huge things, but five minutes where we just have that deep connection with our kids, we are going to be building that foundation so that when they go to college, like that layer is already there.
1: I I I love that so much because it's so true. And I do, if you're if you listen to my podcast, you've heard me talk about fubbing and phone snubbing and how we snub our kids and prefer our online interactions to the ones that are happening right in front of us in real life. And those I love you moments are so great. And Lauren, I'll share. I had one last night. You know, my kids are all Older now, 2018, 16, and 14. But for whatever reason, they will come and gravitate to this chair that I have in my office. And last night, I was in there late, like actually trying to catch up on some things that I needed to schedule for just the business of being a mom. And one of my kids came in there and sat in the chair and started talking. And then another one was like, Hey, what are y'all doing in here? And the next thing I know, they're sitting on the floor. And before I knew it, all four of them were sitting on the floor under my desk and just like chatting and hanging out (laughs) at like 11 o'clock at night in my office. And I loved that. It was not anything special. And I have tried to plan some special things you know, over the summer because all of us feel that mom pressure, but they loved that. And it was like, Oh, take a picture. So I have this picture. My office is a disaster. Like it is (laughs) (laughs) because I've got kids coming and going from college and boxes that are stacked up and things I've ordered from Amazon. I haven't even opened, but those things are there. And I love those cozy moments, you know, just thinking about that's the memories that they'll have. Well, tell us about what's number two.
0: Yes. So number two is prioritizing family dinner. And this is so huge, so huge and so hard. (laughs) Really difficult. (laughs) Difficult when you have young kids because my kids like are constantly getting up out of the chair and just like, honestly, sometimes (laughs) rolling on the ground. I'm like, what are you doing? Like we're supposed to be eating dinner and you're done. You know, and my husband and I are still chatting, so we're not done, but they're just like racing their cars under the table. And I'm like, we're supposed to be eating dinner, like get in your seat. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but I think it's about finding that time again to come together. And that's where really you can share your highs and your lows of the day. You can share. It's so interesting when we share what we're doing with our young kids, and I'm sure it's the same with teens. They're like so invested in it and they want to know. Often we think, well, they don't care that I'm on a Zoom call or that you know somebody came into the office today. But when we share like How God was working in our life and what happened in this unique thing—they're so excited and they love to celebrate the wins. But it's also a chance to share, like, "Hey, I had a bad day and this went wrong, and I wish this happened, and this is how I coped with it." That's building emotional intelligence just by them listening to you talk about your challenges and how you overcame it. And research too shows Barna has done research that seventy-five percent of families that ate dinner together had a better like foundation of faith. And 62% who ate breakfast together had a better foundation of faith in their families than families who didn't. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be dinner, but I feel like dinner is a good way to, to unload the day and to like kind of slow down and have that moment of pause. But if dinner doesn't work for your family, breakfast together without phones, putting that away. And family dinner is also protective. There's tons of research that shows that kids who eat dinner together with their families, are less likely to engage in risky behavior, are mentally better off. They're they're more—my goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. They're mentally better off. They just are healthier, you know, less anxiety, less depression. And so I think we need to prioritize family dinner, no matter how hard it is, and kind of let go of the expectations of it needing to be perfect, but just a time to be
1: together. Oh, See, this is, again, why we're such good friends, Lauren, because. <laughs> We believe all of these things, same things. And if you're listening out there, listen. We are telling you because we know that research backs it. But there's freedom in this because I agree, Lauren. I think we have this image that you know we've made this meal from you know some gourmet chef's website that we've gotten after watching a cooking show, (laughs) and we have candlelight and we're playing jazz music and you know in some sophisticated thing. But it's not even you know. And I think about with my teenagers, we still do that from what was in preschool. We say the highs and the lows and the where did you goes and tell me about your day. And everybody says it together. It's campy. It's cheesy. It's something they probably deny to their friends that we do, (laughs) but we do. And just knowing that high and low gives me a little, it gives us a connection and it gives me an indication, okay, do I need to schedule some time to make sure I could talk to them about that before they go to bed? Or can we encourage them? And sometimes. it's just peanut butter and jelly around the island. Like, you know, no plates, like really barbaric, just passing around a bag of bread, but we're still having that moment of connection with no phones. So I am all into that. Lauren, what is number three?
0: Number three is establishing healthy communication. And this kind of goes along with the other two, but I think having conversations, and you are so good at this, Jessica. This is why I love your Instagram, because you offer conversation starters, and you guide parents in opening up about those kind of tough topics, or like, I think my kids are hearing about this, but I don't know what to say. And again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but I think we need to ask them, hey, what did what did you think about this when you when you watch a show or a movie together? And not and if there are things that are embarrassing, I know families use journals where they'll write In the journal, asking questions or tell me about your day and kind of pass it back and forth. And my daughter and I have done that a few times where she writes it and puts it by my pillow and then I'll write it in the next day and put it on her pillow. And that could be a way where if they're a little Mm -hmm. hesitant or embarrassed to kind of verbalize something face to face that they could share it with you. And I think another big thing is to not react. And I'm so bad at this because my kids will say like, hey, something weird happened at school today. And then they tell you and I'm like, what? That kid did what? Like he showed you what, you know? But I think we really need to be open and allow them to come to us without judgment because we want to have those connections open. So when the hard stuff comes, they feel like, I know I can go to mom or dad and process this and they will not be mad at me and they will not judge me, you know, and because Mm -hmm. kids need help. Their brains aren't fully developed. They need someone to kind of talk through these things with them. So we want to be open and not feel like, they're going to be in trouble right away. Of course, if they're doing something really bad, they need I'm not saying no consequences, but I'm just saying to kind of pause before we immediately react in outrage just so that
1: they feel like you're a trusted source. I am just thinking of so many times where <laughs> my kids will tell me now, "Mom, that was not your finest moment." <laughs> <laughs> that was not your best moment in parenting. And I think it is so hard. And when we have that place of reaction, most of the time... It's either a reflection of our own mental health, like we're just overwhelmed and we're anxious and our threshold is already so high, or it's something that we perceive as threatening to come in and harm our kids and we get afraid for them and we get protective, but that's not how they interpret that at all. They don't think, oh, wow, my mom's so protective. They think, oh, mom's (laughs) mad. And that is yeah. never a good feeling to have. And Lauren, I feel like so many of these things that you're sharing are so simple, but they're not easy. And so yeah. the hope in that is that these things that we do, these simple things, eating dinner together, finding those simple moments of connection, just making eye contact, saying I love you and having those healthy conversations. I mean, that sounds like it's like we want something more slick or fancy or magical. But those are the things and that's the hope in that is that those are simple things. Now, one of the things I love about your book is that it's very practical. And you talk about you have two tools that I want to talk about. The first one is brain builders. And you talk and teach us in your book about something called metacognition and steps for building a powerful mind. And so I think in this day and age, I hear so much curiosity about the science of that and what does that mean? And so tell us how you use brain builders and integrated your faith into that and how it's a practical tool for us to use at home.
0: Yeah. So I love reading books. I have like 10 books at my nightstand at all times. But I especially love the books where I feel like they give me a tangible thing like, okay, just tell me what to do. You know, We're all busy and we all have so much on our plates. And so the brain builders are throughout the bulk of the book, not like in the introduction chapters, but throughout the bulk of the book where it's just a little breakout box and it's a quick tool, a thing you can study, a thing you can talk to your kids about, some prompts so that parents feel like, okay, I can start implementing the things that I'm learning about in this book. So metacognition is thinking about what you're thinking about. And honestly, a lot of adults don't even fully realize, like there are days, even though I know this, that where <laughs> I'm not fully aware of the thoughts running through my head. And we, I mean, the number is debated. I think I might've said 60 or 70,000 in my book, but I read There was like a range. I don't think they know exactly, but there's a lot of thoughts that run through our head every day. And so it's so important to understand the power of our words and, and what thoughts run through and how that affects our actions. And so and what I can give you an example for the one brain builder, I'm just fascinated again how God uses science and the universe is constantly expanding. Scientists always say that, that it's constantly stretching. Every minute space is is growing bigger. And You think God spoke the world into existence, and so this just shows how powerful His words are. That something He spoke, you know, thousands or millions of years ago, is still expanding. There's still a consequence to the words "Let there be light," and I'm just fascinated by that. And so I've explained that to my kids multiple times to help them to help them see that, like, your words carry power. That the words you speak matter. It's going to change the world. And before you speak it, it's a thought in your mind. So. I've had my kids do this and sometimes, you know, kids if they can't write yet, it's it's harder, but I'll have I'll just set a timer for a minute or 3 minutes and then say tell me everything you thought or my oldest can write so she writes down what she's thinking and sometimes it's kind of like a brain dump too. It helps get all those thoughts out there. And what what exactly am I thinking? And it's fascinating to see, especially in a woman's mind. How the the thoughts are like so looped around and it's like one thing reminds you of something else and then you're on to the next thing. And it's just a good tool for kids and for adults to learn so that they can start. You can't take a thought captive if you don't even know what the Mm. thought is. So it's first becoming aware of what is running through your mind and how powerful that is.
1: Well, I thought these were so encouraging to me. And even though, you know, my kids are older, I've started using some of these brain builders with my kids because it is so important to think about what we're thinking about. And especially today when we're living at the speed of a smartphone, we don't often stop to be reflective. We can't be still. We don't meditate. I mean, anytime anyone comes into a at my academic setting and they say we're going to do something mindfulness. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, (laughs) not again. Like, where can I go in my mind to escape the mindfulness? But then that convicts me that I need to do that even more. And I think the benefit, you know, I see when my for my kids keeping journals when they were younger, of having some of those thoughts and talking about them is just wait until they go to college. Then they'll come home, they'll pull out those old journals and they will be rolling on the floor (laughs) laughing. And (laughs) (laughs) They have grown. So those can be entertaining later. Well, the second tool that you have that's very practical, very tangible, very hands-on, and I think very much at the forefront of parental concern today is faith formers. This is a common fear I hear from a lot of parents is how do we transfer our faith? How do we and equip and engage and encourage and empower our kids to have the strongest faith that they can when they leave our home and you have faith formers to help us do that so share that magicalness with us
0: yes and in the one chapter i go over like seven tools to building that foundation of faith and so i'll just go over a few of them but yeah i think the one that excites me the most is making god real to our kids because my kids you know they know the bible they they can memorize scripture but do they have a personal relationship with Jesus? And how do we get our kids to see that it's not just the family's faith that's going to carry you through, that you need your own faith and you need your own time where you're talking and engaging with God? So we've already done things where it's like, okay, go to your room for five minutes and I want you to just pray out loud. Just tell God anything. You can tell Him a joke. You can tell Him anything that comes to your mind. Because Often I know I I was this person. I did not pray out loud a lot as a kid. And so then as I got older, I was embarrassed to pray out loud. Cause I'm like, what if I say something wrong? And and now I've overcome that. But it's so prayer is just so powerful and it's so important to learn that it's okay. You can tell God anything. And if you say the wrong thing, it's not a big deal. And so Having that with our kids where we pray before dinner, you know, we pray before bed, but we're there getting a chance to pray. And then, hey, did God tell you anything? Did a scripture come to your mind? What did you think about? And just giving them a chance to respond. And then also in another faith former, I have brainstorming ways to bring God into your everyday family. So I know a lot of people do this, but if you drive by an accident, taking turns saying, okay, who wants to pray for the families involved or what, you know, pray that everyone will be safe and praying for the first responders and what can we do for that? And getting kids involved when you take a meal to someone who just had a baby, you know, having them write a card, or I've seen people where they write little sticky notes on the different food with encouraging messages. It takes longer to get kids involved, but I think it just shows them tangible ways that we can serve each other and that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I know we can't do it every time, but pausing and letting them be involved in that sometimes I think is such a good way to make their faith real.
1: I love those things because faith is caught. It's not taught. You know, Kids are going to do what we do and not what we say. And mm-hmm. all of these tools and just encouragements that you've given to us, the book is filled with practical advice on how to guide your kids. And one of the, the questions that you ask, which I think is just universal to every parent everywhere, is am I messing up my kid for life? Like, Am I doing something terrible where I'm messing up my kid for life? I mean, I think that's what every parent worries about. And you give reassurance that there is grace and that there is a journey and that you may have setbacks and you may have failures, but there are also victories and there are wins that we can celebrate. And in the long run, there is grace and space for us to mess up and to learn and to unlearn things and to relearn things. And so what What message of hope would you give parents, Lauren, for who are just feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm struggling, like I'm on the struggle bus in parenting. I'm in a tough stage. I don't feel like I'm doing my best. And I feel like, you know, can I do this? What words of hope would you give them?
0: Such a great question, because we've all been there. And I feel like we don't often talk about it. There was a time in the writing of the book where one of my kids was really struggling with some anxious thoughts. And I felt like I'm a fraud. Like I'm writing this book and I'm a fraud, you know, but I actually used some of the things I like pulled the child was like, well, aren't you writing about this? Like, can't you help me with this? And I was like, you know what? I think I can. So we pulled out some of the pages and did some of the activities together. And now it we are on the other side of that. And it it was such a unique thing and honestly, a good thing to walk through. But in the moment, I was like, I can't do this. It felt really dark. It felt really scary. And it felt like no one else is going through this. And I'm a bad parent because my child is struggling. But when I opened up with close friends, I realized almost everyone that I talked to was like, I know somebody who's experiencing this or my child is experiencing this too. And Um, I think we need to be honest with each other and just say, you know, what's really going on. And of course, you want to be careful. You want it to be confident friends. You don't want to just share your things on social media, but know that it. everyone is walking through difficult seasons at times, and it's that's it's just a season. That's what it is. It's not forever. And you can pray. That's We did a lot of praying, and we sought out counsel from counselors and pastors and tried to get help, you know, so that we're not in it alone and know that, It's just a season, and God's grace is sufficient, and He will give us the tools to get to the other side. And if you make a mistake as a parent, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. And honestly, if you question, am I ruining your kids? It probably means you're a good parent because you're actually (laughs) questioning that, you know? And I think we need to really just offer ourselves a lot of grace. We're quick to offer grace to others, but often we don't want to give grace to ourselves. And so... It's a learning opportunity. When we tell our kids, hey, I messed up, like, that was not the best moment for me, and that was not the best response, that is still a learning opportunity. That's not like all has gone to waste because you, you know, did something wrong. They can, you can both learn from that experience.
1: Those words are so helpful and so hopeful and encouraging to us because parenting is hard and we're so hard on ourselves. And I think looking at our parenting through the prism of others' social media and thinking everything else looks perfect, I mean, we're just as susceptible to that as kids and teenagers are and thinking, you know, oh, I wish my family had the matching pajama Christmas pictures or, oh, I wish my kids, you know, I dressed them all in matching outfits and went to the zoo. and everybody was having a good time, but you don't see like the meltdowns that happened and the hey, you just stop touching your sister, just take this picture, and all the irritation that goes into before saying enjoying family time. You know, we yeah. all want to present yeah. our best fronts, but you're absolutely right, I think, and not everybody has to know everything. But there are some people who really need to know everything and walk through that with you. I'll tell you, my person in my life to do that is my sister. And I'll call her and tell her, man, I really messed up today. And she'll tell me, it's okay. You are a great mom. Your kids know that you love them and it's going to be okay. And then sometimes I'll call her and say, you know what? I was on my A game as a mom today. like (laughs) I was killing it. And my kids could have cared less. They're ungrateful. Like I don't even think they love me. (laughs) And she'll say again, you are the best mom ever. So I think we all need somebody like that in our lives. Well, Lauren, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to follow you on social media at Inspired Motherhood. Your graphics are beautiful for one thing, but I love your newsletter. I love what you post. It's always so encouraging and So thoughtful and so gentle in the way that you give advice. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel shamed or, you know, bad about myself. You say it in a way that builds me up according to my needs. So, thank you for that. And I would love for you to share with everyone how they can get their copy of Unshakable Kids and how we can find you to connect more.
0: Yeah, so I am mostly on Instagram at inspired.motherhood, but you can also go to my website and I write a weekly newsletter where I try to give even more practical tips and like printables or freebies that you only will get through my email list so that can help you, you know, build more faith and emotional health into your kids. and. And Unshakable Kids is on Amazon. And until the release, it releases September 12th. I have some pre-order freebies, a question document that is five questions to ask yourself when your child is going through adversity or really struggling. And often we panic and think, what am I supposed to be doing? And this will kind of help you get started and come up with a plan to help your child walk through this season well. And then I also have scripture cards that our memorization for kids. So on the front is the scripture, and on the back, it's the first letter of each word, which is a mnemonic tool to help you remember the verse. And it's all based on identity so that we can build up our kids in knowing exactly who they are in Christ. So if you pre-order the book, you can get those freebies uh,
1: on my website. And you also have a back-to-school prayer guide on your website if you sign up, Right. Yes. Yeah. So I did this about
0: two years ago. And last year, it was super cool. We had people from almost 20 nations who were praying these prayers for their kids back to school, which is just so neat. So yes, that is free if you're an email subscriber. So that is two weeks worth of prayer for praying for friendship, praying for teachers, for a heart to learn. And once you go through those two weeks, you could always do it again. It's guided prayers and scriptures.
1: See, that is just what is so great about you, Lauren. Thank you for bringing us encouragement and practical tools and tips and just faith and hope for everyday life. Thank you so much for everything that you do to equip and encourage us as moms. I really appreciate your work so very much.
0: Thank you, Jessica. Right back at you. <laughs>
1: Well, it's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies. Didn't you just love that conversation with Lauren? She is so bubbly and so encouraging. I always feel better after I have talked with her. She is a great friend to have in my circle. And, you know, that's something that I want to talk about, something that Lauren and I talked about in the podcast just now talking about having someone who can share your burdens, having someone who knows everything about you. Now, not everyone has to know all of your drama and all of your dirty laundry, but someone should know everything. And according to Google, 81% of us use Google as a first search strategy when we're having a problem. We think any question we have, any resource we need, any problem that we're having, we go to Google. But only 16% of us will go to a trusted friend with a problem. Now, there is something wrong, friends, if we have more faith in our Google search strategy than our closest friends who we love and admire and know love us to help us with our problems. So here's the thing. Shame and stigma lead us to be slaves to image crafting, and we feel pressure to be perfect, and we worry that we'll expose our imperfect parenting and our sore spots. And our intentions are good because we don't want anyone to judge or label our kids, or if we're really honest, to judge and label our us ourselves. So the answer, this actually comes from Beth Moore. I loved how she said this. She said, be authentic with all, transparent with most, and intimate with some. Not everyone needs to know everything, but we need to be fully known by a few. So here are five things, five people that you need in your circle, in your village. And these, uh, I got inspired for some of these from Pastor Brian, who's been on the podcast before, and I added some of my own. So here are the five. Are you ready? I want you to think as I tell you each category, think in your life Who is that person specifically, so specific that you could put it in your phone or write it on a piece of paper to remind yourself of what you have? All right. The first one intercessor. Someone you can easily and comfortably ask to pray for you and your family. With confidence, they will do it. Who can you text with no questions asked, and you can just say, will you pray for me? Who's that person who's going to send you a voice text back, a text, an email? Who's going to come over? Who's going to call you? Who is going to pray for you in any way, in any way you ask? Who is your intercessor? Number two, who is your counselor? Now, this might be a real counselor, like a professional counselor, but it could also be the wise counsel of a friend. Who is that person who is a generous listener? who is dependable for wise advice, and most importantly, who is willing to deliver hard truths. Now, that's really hard. I think about in my circle, there are some people who can tell me, I invite them to tell me those hard truths and to speak truth, even maybe when it's not what I want to hear, but it's what I need to hear. Someone who makes me feel heard and seen and loved. Who is your counselor? Number three, healthcare provider. Now, this one should be someone you trust with your life, literally. And a bonus, it should be someone that you like. Someone with a wise mind, skilled hands, and a compassionate heart to help you live your healthiest. Now, listen, I know that this is very controversial or a sensitive subject or even politicized, but the fact is we all need healthcare. It is not something that we can cut out of our lives completely. And finding that right healthcare provider for your family may take some time. And some effort and some intentionality on your part. You may need to go and interview someone and see does their worldview align with yours? Are they going to support you in the way that you need to be supported? What is their philosophy of care? And don't give up until you find that right person. All right, number four, someone, this is a friend a real true friend. That means someone who is wildly unimpressed with you. Maybe other people might admire you for your profession or for your contribution to the school or for your cooking abilities. This is a friend that sees all past that and that does not impress them a bit. Someone who has lived life with you, someone who knows you, someone you can call at two o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I need to come over and do laundry. And they say, all right, I'm opening the door with no questions asked. You need that person that is your ride or die, your friend for life, your friend through thick and thin, who is your friend. All right. Number five someone who is in the same boat as you. So maybe that's someone going through a divorce, someone who has a child or a spouse who also has a chronic illness. Maybe this is another soccer mom or a working parent or a homeschooling family or someone who shares your cultural heritage. Who is that person you need right now in your life who is going to best understand, empathize, and support you in this life stage. So those five people, your intercessor, your counselor, your healthcare provider, your friend, and someone who is in the same boat as you. You need those five people in your life to be able to go through parenting and have support. So here's the catch. You have to be intentional about this. Can you name those five people? Can you make a specific list of those five people? And who would you add to the list? So here's your conversation keys ask your kids, who do you see as my friends? Who is in my inner circle? Who do you think that I trust? Who are the people who are closest to our family? Talk to them about that and see what you can cultivate and and help them to recognize people who are trusted, people who are in your circle, who you trust and who you depend on. That's really, really helpful. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. I hope to see you all next week. Try out those conversation keys and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at DrNurseMama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.